It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, believe it or not, one of the shows that we've gotten the most response to, and this includes stuff that we've done in the political realm, stuff that we've done the last couple of weeks in the Middle East, stuff that we've done that I think is really interesting, important, compelling stuff. One of the shows that we got the most response to last week was the horror panel, the horror movie panel that we did on Friday the 13th. And I guess maybe because we are inching closer and closer to Halloween, there is a fascination that the public has in being scared, in the occult, and I think specifically with respect to tales of demonic possession, this has been reignited with the new Exorcist movie that's in theaters. I haven't seen it yet, but everybody is talking about it. And believe it or not, there is a book out now all about this, all about the devil and what role he might play in people's lives, what role he might play in crime. And it's not written by somebody that you generally think of as a horror writer. It's written by one of the most experienced trial attorneys I've ever met, one of the most accomplished prosecutors in the history of the borough of Brooklyn, somebody that I've had the privilege of talking to many times, not only on this program, but uh, on my podcast, the former chief of the Rackets Bureau in the Brooklyn DA's office, and a best-selling author several times over, whose latest book is Fallen Angel Book Two, The War for the Soul of Brooklyn. Very pleased to welcome back to the program Michael Vecchione. Michael, thanks so much for joining me. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you very much, Frank, and thank you for having me. And wow, I hope I can live up to those words. Thank you for for that great introduction. I I really appreciate it. Mike, I want to talk to you about the new book. I'm curious about it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, reading it because I've read, I think, five of your previous books, and each one is a page-turner. We'll get into this one in a second. But you were, as I mentioned, you were a trial lawyer's trial lawyer. You were an attorney's attorney, both as a guy in the courtroom and as an administrator helping to run the DA's office. Do you miss trying cases at all? Do you ever think of maybe showing up to 100 Center Street, just so you don't get rusty? <laughs> yes, I miss cases. I miss trying cases every day, Frank. I, I, I really do. What, what I don't miss was the, uh, you know, the nonsense that went on in, you know, with the, with the running of the office and, and the people in the office who were, didn't see eye to eye and who, you know, who were, who, you know, made life miserable, quite frankly. I, I don't miss that. Uh, and I, and I don't, um, you know, I, writing these books has kind of kept me mm. in the quote unquote, the courtroom, you know, and, um, and that's why I love doing it. And, uh, but I do miss it. There's not a, a day that goes by that I don't, uh, wish that I was involved in an investigation that led to an indictment, which led to a trial and to have, um, you know, to have you, you fellas, you know, you guys like you guys and gals like you in the, in the press, you know, covering the case and asking me questions. I, I, 
I miss it every day. Well, you, you've also been at various points of your career, and again, I gave just sort of a thumbnail sketch of, uh, of a couple of things you've done. We could do a whole four hours just on your life and career in the law, yeah. but you've also been an attorney in private practice. You've done some defense work. You ever think about doing a little defense work these days? No, I don't. I really don't. I'm, I'm, out, of the, I'm out of the game. I really am. I, you know, you can't be away. It's now, uh, believe it or not, in December of this year, it'll be 10 years that I'm out of the DA's wow. office and, and out of the practice of law. And, um, you know, I get calls all the time uh, by people asking me questions and asking advice and that kind of thing. You know, it's not a, not a, uh, a formal consulting thing, but I do get questions. And, you know, and I, and I handle what I can handle. But in terms of being able to practice law the proper way, you have to have an infrastructure. You have to have been in the courtroom. You have to see... Uh, and, and basically feel what's going on in the, um, you know, in the, in the legal community. And, and I don't have that. I'm, I'm you know, I'm in my, uh, up in, at my desk and I'm, and I'm writing now and, um, it would be a disservice. So what I do is I have lots of people who I know, lots of attorneys who are excellent trial lawyers, excellent attorneys in, in various fields. And I refer cases out to them and, um, and thank God so far things have gone well. So, um, so I, I, I do miss it, but I don't want to get back into it. I, I, I love what I'm doing now. Uh, and, you know, Frank, I got to tell you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but mm. one, one other thing that I'm doing is I, I've gotten involved with a group called True Crime Expo uh, that runs a, a, a kind of a speaker's bureau out on Long Island. And I have been speaking to library groups um, for now about a year and a half on true crime and my cases. And, um, and that has also kept me you know, kept me involved in, um, in, in the law. And, um, and I've done podcasts as well, as you know, I've done yours. And so that keeps me, I have to keep up to date because I can't, I have to sure. sound like I know what I'm doing, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I don't, um, I, I don't want to get back into it because um, I, I would I would be a disservice to the client. You know, um, last question just about about crime, and then I want to talk sure. uh, mostly about writing and what you're doing now. One of the things that I can tell you, and I, I'm out in the public a lot, and I have a diverse social group, uh, ranges uh, ages, ranges uh, ethnicity and uh, religion, every possible demographic I socialize with regularly. And one thing that I've noticed is there's a common thread, at least in New York, but I think it's true in Baltimore. I think it's true in Washington. I know it's true in Chicago. There's a common thread of people being afraid of violent crime. Now, some folks, uh, like the mayor, for instance, they say this is just the perception. They say this is people um, highlighting a bunch of crime stories to make to sell papers or to generate clicks, whatever the case may be. From what you're hearing, is crime in, say, New York these days bad? I mean, certainly it's not as bad as it was when you were a prosecutor 30 years ago, or is Mayor Adams right that it's a perception problem, not necessarily the reality? With all due respect to the mayor, he's absolutely wrong. Um, it, is, it is not a perception, it is a reality. And, uh, and I can tell you just my, let me, let me just give you my, my, my feeling. I, and my experience, um, I was a, a guy who for many, many, many years, um, when I was in private practice, 10 years, 12 years it was, I guess, would take the subway every single day, all over the city, everywhere, and uh, walk through Manhattan any time of night without any problems. Um, certainly walk around Brooklyn and downtown Brooklyn without ever thinking about a problem. Uh, you know, once Giuliani put in 
or, or transform this city. And Bloomberg continued to uh, his his policies and, and refined it. it played, New York was was a wonderful place to uh, and and a, and, a, and me being fearless walking around. And I had no you know no bodyguards nothing of that nature. It was me. Um, now, anytime I can avoid taking the subway, I do. And it's not because, you know, I, um, I, because of perception, it's because of reality. Just today, some poor young woman was pushed into a train, um, just standing on a platform. Uh, and when I do take the subway, I stand against the wall. I wait for the train to come into the plat- into the station, wait for the doors to open. And then I go into the, into it. And, um, you know, so that to me brings home the idea that, that this crime wave that we see is, is actually happening. And, um, and there are, you know, people in my neighborhood who tell me the same thing. Mm. Um, they're so it's not just a perception problem. It's a problem. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, interesting. Uh, talking with Michael Vecchione, his newest book is Fallen Angel Book 2, The War for the Soul of Brooklyn. But I do have to tell you, uh, if you're interested in crime, if you're interested in the criminal justice system, you've got to check out some of Michael's previous books. Search his last name on Amazon, V-E-C-C-H-I-O-N-E. A whole world opens up. I would start with Crooked Brooklyn because you don't need a long attention span. There are a bunch of short cases, short stories, and they're all interesting. And that'll just get you hooked on uh, on Michael Vecchione's writing. Michael, I-, I really give you so much credit because not that you're old, but you made the transition to being a professional writer later in your professional life. Very much your second or maybe even third career after being an accomplished attorney. Um Tell me about making that transition from the legal profession to being a writer. Obviously, as a lawyer, you do a lot of writing, but you don't necessarily hear about a lot of lawyers. Maybe there's a Michael Crichton, maybe one or two others, but you don't necessarily hear about a lot of accomplished lawyers that then make that transition to being uh, accomplished authors of multiple books as you have. Is this something that you always wanted to do or is this something that you kind of fell into? Well, I always wanted and always liked telling stories. Um, and, and when you say that as a lawyer, you do a lot of writing, that's true. But as a trial lawyer, you do storytelling. Mm. And I don't mean storytelling in terms of fantasies. I'm, I'm talking about relaying to a jury the story of a victim or the story of someone who has been uh, wronged um, and, uh, on both sides. Um, and, and I loved standing up in front of a jury and doing just that. Um, so, but in order to do that, I used to spend a great deal of time composing those summations, uh, or opening statements. Uh, I began writing or would begin writing an opening statement before the case, even before I even had a jury, I would begin writing a summation as the trial progressed for maybe from the first day. And if you saw my notebook uh, at the end of a, or just before a summation, you would see page after page after page of ideas and, and, and arguments that I knew that I would have to make to this jury. So, wow. so I have been writing a long time, but writing as, you know, as a, uh, for a, an audience, whether it is true crime or now novels, uh, is a different animal. And I had to learn some, I had to learn how to do that. And I learned it from one of the best, my buddy Jerry Schmetterer, who was my co-author on, on the, the first several books that we did. And, and he was my friend, and he was a writer. 
and and working with him and listening to him and 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 editing him and him editing me that really kind of refined where i am and uh and i so it was not easy but it was not difficult it was somewhat in between but I, but it, it was just different sitting down and writing a book tell me about the difference between writing nonfiction versus fiction i realize that this book does focus uh, at least part of it is based on uh, a key case that you were involved with but what's the difference when you're when you're writing fiction versus nonfiction? okay so the the difference is that you have to be exceedingly careful when you're writing nonfiction, because for the most part, everyone who you, who you're writing about is still alive and out there. And, and, um, you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to, you know, put words into someone's mouth that didn't come out of that mouth. So it's a very careful process to make sure that what you're writing, um, is totally accurate. And, um, and it, and it, and it doesn't, um, I don't want to say offend because you know, if you're accurate, it's going to offend some people sometimes. But accuracy is a very, very important thing. I have to tell you, when I wrote, when we, Jerry and I did Crooked Brooklyn, we turned it into um, St. Martin's Press, which was our publisher. And, um, and we were very, very pleased with the way the book came out. And we were very happy with it. And we spent a lot of time doing what I just told you about being accurate, mm-hmm. etc. And, um, and I recall the first time I got a phone call from the legal editor, a guy who worked in a big law firm, and he was the editor for, um, for, for St. Martin's Press from a legal point of view. Frank, I, I can't tell you how many hours I spent on the phone with that guy. He would ask me questions about, well, did the judge actually say it this way? Is that the way the witness said it? And in the courtroom, did you say it that way? You know, that kind of thing. So, so it, it really opened up my eyes because we did a couple of books after that that were true crime, and uh, and with and I had that in my head as I was sitting at the, at my computer writing, with a novel. And I got to correct you about one thing: every crime that's depicted in Fallen Angel and Fallen Angel Two is a case that I handle. It's not one case. For instance, there are four in 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 both of the both of the books, and there will be several in book three. Uh, coming up. So, so they're all cases that I know because I had my hands in there and I was, you know, down there in the, you know, in, in the courtroom in, in a, in witness, uh, you know, witnesses homes and, and on the street, that kind of thing. So, um, but here's the fun part that when you have something in a, let's say a line or a, 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 something that happens in a case and you thought, you know, in that time when you were handling it, boy, I wish it would go this way. Well, when you're sitting <laughs> down and writing a novel, I can make it go that way. You know? Understood. So, I've had radio shows that I, I could, uh, yeah. I, I wish uh, I could rewrite at times. Exactly. All right. Exactly. We're talking with Michael Vecchione. His uh, newest book is Fallen Angel, book two, The War for the Soul of Brooklyn. Michael, do I need to read book one in order to follow Fallen Angel, book two? Well, you don't, but it would be it would ben- it would benefit you. You would enjoy book two a lot more if you read book one. Um, I think because I set up the whole premise in book one. However, this is another thing that I learned, Frank, in terms of writing uh, novels and particularly series uh, a series of novels, is that in the second book you have to basically tell the reader 
what the story is about. You know, set the premise all over again. But you can't do it the same way you did in the first book. So I had to take the first book and kind of edit it all down and to give the, the reader what they needed to know so that when I mentioned, for instance, I call the devil various names in the book. He's got, he's got a name, and I, one of them is Jiz, J-I-Z. He appears in book one, and he tempts a guy to kill a police officer in book one, and he does kill the police officer. So when I mentioned Jiz in book two, they have to know that, you know, that's, that, that's the, who that is. The same thing with the setup. I mean, the prosecutor in the book is recruited by a secret government organization run by a former attorney general of the United States. His name is John Caldwell, and that's my, in my book. So when I mention John Caldwell in the first paragraph, let's say, of book two, I have to tell him who John Caldwell sure. is. So, so if you read, same thing with, with, the, with his, his, his sidekick in the book is a, a Monsignor, Sal Romano, who is a family friend of the prosecutor. And Romano plays a great role. He's a he's he's a mentor. He's a he guy. He's a guide. He's a he's a conscience. You know, so so you you get all of that in book one. But I do have enough of it in book two to have the reader say, you know what, this is great. I'm going to go back to book one. Gotcha. And and read book one. And I'll tell you, I tell you what happened to me. I I love. Uh, um, the Gabriel Alon series written by a guy named Daniel Silva and Gabriel Alon is a, is a Israeli secret service agent. And I was told about the book and someone told me that, well, you know what you would love, you'd love book three, four and five because they have to do with the Vatican and they have to do with art and stuff of that nature. And I read them. You know what I wanted to do, Frank? I wanted to go back and read one, two and three. So I, I did that. And then, then I read four, five, and six already. So then I went and read the rest of the 23 books. So, um, so that's what I tried to do. And, Got it. I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I copied that style because I think it works. Uh, so the character in Fallen Angel book one and book two is the chief of the Rackets Bureau. His name is Michael Gioka. You were the chief of the Rackets Bureau. You're obviously right. Michael Vecchione. So this character is clearly based on you. Without a doubt. And I have to tell you, I did, a, I did an author's podcast last night, and someone told me, I call it a true crime fantasy. That's my, I made my made up genre for, my, for this, this, this series. And uh, she said to me, so really what you did is you wrote an autobiographical novel. And I said, wow, I never really thought of it that way, but that's what I did. And yes, and, and Frank, when I tell you that the cases were mine, when I, when I talk about you know, the walking into a, a woman's home where the dead body is laying on the ground and she had been stabbed 60 times and Gioka sees that same thing. That that was me walking in and and uh, and, and seeing a bloody handprint on the wall above where the body was. And, and when Gioka tells the cops to cut out the wall and bring it and preserve it so that we can have it as evidence, if we find who this 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 horrible person is. I remember doing that. I told that to the cops when I saw that that uh, that handprint on the wall. So, so um, the things that that I that Gioka does, I have done. But there are things that Gioka does that I couldn't have done because there are some things that I have to do to kind of fill in the story to fit 
safety Got it. into the story. Got it. Now, without giving away too much of the story, because we want people to check it out, what role does the devil play in uh, Fallen Angel Book 2, War for the Soul okay. of Brooklyn? So, so the premise is that, uh, in Book 1, the premise is that the devil has been recognized as being in Brooklyn, as he had been in many other parts of the world. And a priest in the Vatican, Vatican's Office of Exorcisms, recognized that these horrific crimes that were happening around the world were, were, um, were followed by, uh, by exorcisms. And he did his research and he discovered that the people who were committing the crimes were the people who were the subject of the exorcism. And he realized that Satan was behind this. And, um, and, he, and he went to the Vatican, he, to, the, to his boss, who then went to the, came to the United States because Brooklyn was suffering. And Brooklyn was ground zero at this point. And he sold the, the attorney general, the president, uh, on creating this, this, this group. And here's the role that the devil plays. When he instigates a horrific crime, he makes sure, he had made sure in other places, that the person, his pawn or his minion, got off. That way, he showed that his evil would, would perpetuate. And, um, and, the, and the bad guy would walk out. And it would create issues with people who had seen dead police officers or dead firefighters or and 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 with a lot with lots of evidence. And what was happening is the devil was either getting rid of witnesses, changing the idea, uh, changing testimony. And, and that's the role that he plays. He's the instigator. And then he is the, the person who in, who makes sure that when someone is arrested, if they're arrested, that they don't get convicted, and he manipulates enough of the evidence, the witnesses, etc., and maybe, and sometimes even the lawyers. In in book two, a lawyer who was who, unbeknownst to him, was working for the devil, or at least representing the devil's pawns, did something, and um, he did not like it. He, meaning the devil, didn't like it, and I won't tell you what happened because I think your people should get the book. Sure, but. But that's what um, that's what the devil is. He's the he's the instigator. And what he's trying to do is, look, you know, Frank, from from being in this city for the last uh, for however many years, Brooklyn is has had a renaissance. And um, and I and I just read the other day that it's one of the mo- it is the most expensive place now to live in the city is in Brooklyn. The rents are, are that that high. So I thought that, you know, this is perfect because. Where would the devil want to go to create chaos, a place that is peaceful, a place that is, you know, is, is enjoying the, um, you know, the idea of this, this renaissance. And in book one, Michael gets the best of them. There's a little, you know, there's, a, there's one little place where he has to kind of, the devil temporarily wins. But in book, but most, for the most part, Michael gets, gets the best of them. In book two, the devil ups his game and he realizes that if I'm going to destroy Brooklyn, one of the things that I need to get and need to, to kind of to, to make sure doesn't ha, ha, has a has real, real uh, effect on the borough is family. Family life in mm. Brooklyn is important. And if I dis- and if my crimes destroy families, then I'm going to have a greater impact on on the borough and what I want to create, which is a chaotic uh situation in in the borough so 
Each of the cases, again, all of them I handled. In fact, I tried every one of them. Um, the dead person or the person who dies, um, it was a was very, very uh, close to, to, their, to the family, and the family really um, suffered as a result of the death. And, um, and, and, and I also have him initially, first couple of cases, attacking the religious aspect of things that you would think he would, establish, uh, he, would he, he, he would go after. The first one is he, he instigates a fire in a, um, in a building that's attached to a, a rectory in, in, uh, in a Catholic church. In book one, the last story is he, he goes after Jewish people because mm. he kills a young Jewish girl or instigates the death of a young Jewish girl on the on the Brooklyn on the Williamsburg Bridge, and um, and also in one of the cases, he um, he goes after a, a woman and kills her. She's a homeless woman who has really bad had mental problems, who was a former nun. So he there is this whole thing about attacking the religion. Um, and and one thing I just want to say, there's one point in book one, Frank, where Michael, you know, Michael is picked because of his skill in the courtroom, and. And he has had he was had been he had fallen away from the church, and um, and it was Romano's job essentially to to kind of talk him into, you know, his back into the faith. And uh, and there's a point where Michael sees this, and he goes to he goes to mass um, at uh, at St. Charles Borromeo, which is was near the DA's office, and he comes out, and he and school is being let out at the same time, and somebody bumps into him. And he, he, he's startled, and, and the person says to him, what you just did, that ain't going to help you. And it turns out that that was Satan on the street telling him, you know, wow. basically, um, you know, you could do whatever, pray all you want, but I'm still going to get you. And uh, so um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, it certainly that. does. Uh, Michael, you know, uh, this may seem like an odd question, but... I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. We've heard a lot about uh, demonic possession of late. There is an uptick in the number of exorcisms. The current pope has admitted to performing exorcisms. I've had priests on this show who have performed exorcisms. In discussing the the movie The Exorcist, apparently that's based on a real-life case. Do, Do you believe that demonic possession is real? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, I don't. I don't hesitate to give you that answer. Not without a doubt. I I had the fortune. I had the good fortune a few years ago, uh, along with Jerry, to be uh, to be asked to go to Venice for the Venice Film Festival to be a judge. We were we were consultants to an organization that sponsored a an award that was given to a, to one of the films, and we we had to go and and look at and watch all the films so that we could give our, our, our uh, advice as to which uh, a film should be, uh, should be given the award. And one of the films that we watched was uh, kind of, it, I call it a documentary because uh, it was, it wasn't a scripted series, but it was, um, it was a documentary that Billy Freakin, you know, the, the, the director. Sure. Of, he just the, passed away. The exorcist. the exorcist. Yeah. It was his, his movie. And he went to, um, to, I think it was in Rome. And um, and they actually filmed an exorcism and and the the all the surrounding circumstances. And I got to tell you, Frank, I, I've seen lots of horror movies, but nothing nothing scared me more than that particular movie. And 
And there are aspects of it that I have I have a, taken and, and have in my head, and I and I use them in uh, in book one. I describe an exorcism um, to uh, to because Romano performs an exorcism. Romano was on the was one of the exorcism uh, one of the the priests who was involved in the Vatican's office of exorcisms exorcisms. So um, so I've used that. And uh, but to answer your question, absolutely. I, I believe it 100 percent. You know, I, I'm already a little late here. A couple of quick things I want to ask you, though. Uh, the yeah. film The Devil's Advocate, when I read the premise of your book, it reminded me a little bit of, of that with Keanu Reeves and uh, Al Pacino. Have you seen it? What do you think of it? I, I never saw that movie, Frank. Oh, really? Never. Well, I'd be curious, even more curious, to get your take on it if you do get around to see it. For, I will. I will watch it. Yeah. For people that have now ordered Fallen Angel Book 1 and Book 2 as we're talking, I know you're uh, hard at work on uh, Fallen Angel Book 3. What is the timetable for that book being published? Uh, I'm hoping that it'll be out by next summer. I, I would like it to be a beach read. You know, I think it's a good book, too to take to the beach. Um, that's, that's our plan. Um, so I, am I'm, I'm nine chapters in and, um, and part one, and I have a, a little different way I'm going to, <clears throat> to join all of the, the stories in, in book three. And, um, and I've also, just so that, you know, I've spoken to my publisher and she said to me, um, I, I asked her, I said, you know, I have lots of stories. I, I have, I haven't exhausted even close to exhausting my stories. And I said, what about a book four? She said, I, I, I would do that. And she has a cover in mind as to what she wants to do for book four. So, um, so it's, uh, it's been, it's been terrific. And I got to tell you, I've also become a, a narrator, a narrator. I did the, the audio book for book one, and uh, that should be out before Christmas. That's terrific. Uh, that's yeah. terrific. Hey, um, for our listeners out on Long Island, we have many. You're doing something in Syacet on Saturday. What are you doing? Yeah, it's a, called an, an author's showcase. And what we're going to do there is me and a bunch of other authors. And we're going to talk about our books and, um, and about writing and, and what, you know, what prompted, uh, prompted us to get into writing, that kind of thing. And then we're going to be able to sit out in the, the lobby of the, the library would at our own table and sell books and talk to people and it should be it should be great. A terrific thing. Uh, that's great hey yeah. michael uh, i'm uh, way late here you got to come back there's a lot of other things i'd love to talk with you about both with respect to your books and the law as always i appreciate the time thank you very much frank anytime i'm happy to do it and i thank you once again for having me tonight thank you michael vecchione former chief assistant district attorney former chief of the rackets bureau in brooklyn and a best-selling author whose newest book is fallen angel book two war for the soul of brooklyn it's available on amazon or wherever you get your books if you're out on long island uh, check them out in syasset on saturday if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation you're welcome to give me a call 800-848-9222 That's That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.